These are God's holy, inspired, and life-giving words. Let's give them our full attention today. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was, hap- what was to happen to him, saying, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days he will arise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. And Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over you, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Amen. Thus goes the reading of God's word. May he continue to bless it for us as the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Friends, please be seated. And would you uh, join your hearts with mine in a quick word of prayer here? Lord, as we come before you in the stillness of this space, like we confess how busy we always are, and no matter how much we confess of it, we just can't make it stop sometimes. And literally, we need a time and place like this to just still our bodies and praying and hoping that you would still our minds and hearts to be reflective of who you truly are, not, not just in this world, but also in our lives. We pray that during this season of Advent, you would give us hearts and minds to really hope in the goodness of what Advent is all about. Jesus, would you be the great teacher that you are in giving, us to, you, giving to us your words? Bless this time as we draw near to you. Would you also draw near to us? We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to share this one quote with you that um, I found, and it reads something like this, that the key to happiness is not self-care, but caring for your community. I found this to be an interesting quote. Maybe, perhaps, we might have knee-jerk reactions because a lot of us are invested in self-care because, after all, if you're not caring for yourself, who else will? 
And so maybe this, a quote like this uh, uh, can rub you the wrong way. But this woman, Marie Andrews, I don't even know what her religious beliefs are, but she touches on something that I really believe Advent reveals to us. That in the season of Advent, the whole idea of it is that Jesus himself came down in the form of a little baby child to be so helpless and weak, to be cared for. I, I can't imagine anyone, any of us wanting that in our own lives, to be cared for in this way. And we think, uh, uh, we think that if, if you are the savior of our lives, you should be self-sufficient, you should be able to do your own things. But the fact that the incarnation shows us that Jesus became vulnerable that he relied on the care of human mothers and uh, mother and father. I think he was doing more of us a favor to reveal to us that in the wisdom of God, life is meant to be shared. And part of what it means to share means to care for one another, the humanity of it all. And maybe perhaps someone like Marie Andrews is onto something, that we were all created and designed to help one another, to serve one another. That as Jesus comes into the world and comes, at least in this passage, he proclaims to all of us that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve for the good of our humanity. And what if Jesus' call to serve, care for others, is really about uncovering joy and happiness? What if this is what he is after? And this is exactly what we want to explore. And we want to look at it in three ways. First part is, what does it really mean to be sold out for God? Secondly, what does it mean to be in sync with what Jesus is saying? And last of all, how do we serve for a greater good? Let's look at the first part here, sold out. So before making my decision to come up to the Bay Area, I wrestled with this idea of coming to a new environment and a new role, and I, I just kept going back and forth of, should I do it or should I not? Um, and one brother was trying to console me, and he said, you just have to be like Cortez. I was like, who's that? And he goes through his history lesson. He's this Spanish oh man, I can't even pronounce this word, conquistador, uh, who was known for conquering the new wor world at the time. And my world history was not so good, so he had to enlighten me to this. And he tells me that once he landed in the new world with 600 men, he basically burned up all his ships so that all his men would know that there is no turning back. So the only two choices are fight or die. That's what you have to do, Amos. It's like, wasn't really comforting at the time, right? Because if we know anything about our lives right now, is that we always have another option. There's always an option for something else. And I think that's the problem for a lot of us. See, Jesus and his disciples, they set off towards Jerusalem. That's the main destination. And notice what it says in verse 32 here. The text says that the disciples are amazed and they are afraid, which are strange emotions to really describe as you're following someone as you're just walking. What's there to be amazed about? What's there to be afraid about? And the thing is, they must have uh, sensed a determined aura of Jesus. 
like there was just something in the air, eerie calm before a storm. They sensed in Jesus that he was locked in to fulfill the mission that he was sent for. Jesus was burning all his boats, and he set his mind and heart towards Jerusalem to provide so great a salvation for us. And the thing is, you can't be happy as a halfway Christian. It just doesn't work out that way. You cannot be satisfied as a halfway Christian because Jesus himself doesn't go halfway on our salvation. He is all in for us. And that's the problem with all our options, is we think we can just go half and half. I read this amazing testimony about this woman named Kat Von D. Do any of you guys know her? Yeah, it's a, it's a really niche, niche uh, uh, person. She's like this celebrity tattoo artist. I think she was on the show, I think it's called Inked or something. And um, she's a highly prolific, sought-out tattoo artist. And she's uh, very goth in just not only how she dresses, but in her mentality and philosophy on life. And one day, all of a sudden, she goes to church and she tells the, uh, she, she goes to this tiny Baptist church somewhere uh, in the Midwest, and she, she tells the pastor, can you just teach me the Bible? And she becomes converted. And, and the thing about her is she, she um, uh, it's the least likely person you would think would come to God. And she says, I believe. And she's kind of in this interview and telling people about her whole journey about it. And she says, you know, even though I belong to this tiny little church and like when we sing uh, hymns and songs, people don't really sing very well, but but we, we have heart and like, I love it. And she's part of this, this high profile celebrity. And she said, uh, part of if you know anything about her, is that she has a lot of gothic art on her uh, sleeves and on her leg, all through her body. And she said, because I'm so convicted about who Jesus really is, I can no longer wear these tattoos, right, as a tattoo artist. And so she's been spending time blacking out everything. And I, like, I would show you pictures, but the thing is, it's literally all blacked out, her whole forearm, her whole leg, to cover up everything that Jesus will not find glorifying. She's absolutely joyful about it. I found this to be so refreshing because here is someone who is sold out. And even though she's this celebrity, she says, don't make me a poster child for a Christianity. I just want, I just want to do what's pleasing to God. That's what we need to be. This is what Jesus is after. Nothing... Uh, nothing is uh, Christ is uh, nothing is going to stand in the way of Christ going all in for us. That's what Advent is about. And as Jesus explains for the final and last time to his disciples what is about to happen to him, he says that the Son of Man is about to be rejected by the chief priests and the scribes, the religious leaders at the time who should have known who the promised Messiah is, those people, the important people, they're going to reject the ultimate king. And not just be rejected by the people that should accept him, but he will be spit upon, he will be mocked, and then he'll be handed over the Gentiles to be crucified. Keep in mind here, crucifixion was actually a common practice by the Roman government. And no one remembered the crucified. 
because it was such a harsh and horrendous sentence that people uh, set, be set before other people as a reminder that if you mess with the Roman government, you shall be disfigured, forgotten, and eaten by the birds so that no one can re recognize you. It was a form of trying to wipe away the existence of the individual. Jesus, knowing fully well this, sets his face towards Jerusalem. And yet, isn't this why we keep our options? Because we're so afraid of being forgotten. We're afraid of being erased. My kids, um, we have this, I mean, it's not much of a tradition, but like we always get a Christmas tree every year. And one of our traditions is to buy a new ornament for the Christmas tree. And it's something that we all look forward to. And the best place to go for a Christmas tree is not those, uh, you know, those farms of Christmas trees. It's magical, but it's too pricey. The best place for a Christmas tree is Home Depot. Best. Best place ever. You should go now. If, I, I mean, after the service. Not right now, now. But. <laughs> this time, we got a good head start. I got a good selection on the tree. Found a super good deal. Five-footer tree. Uh, I'm super happy with it. And I'm waiting in line for, uh, to check out for the Christmas tree. And like nothing beats the smell of a Christmas tree. That's why we get uh, real ones that are dying. Um, and so like as we're standing in line, uh, the woman in front of me says, oh, that's a beautiful tree. I was like, yeah, thank you. Um, you know, they have great, they still have a lot more. Um, you should go get one. I got a great deal. And she says, but why? Why pay for something that you're just going to throw away in a month? Whole hum right there. Merry Christmas to you too. It's a matter of perspective. It really is. Are not our lives a Christmas tree? The world is a passing evil age, the Bible says. It's all temporary. And you can have the one mindset of just embellishing it and having your fun and then tossing it away, or it's about creating memories for my kids so that they can carry with them and carry on to the next generation or whatnot. Depends how you look at it, at it. Because our lives are passing. And we can embellish it all we want with our accomplishments, with our stuff and experiences. Or life can be shared. Can be passed down to the next generation. See, to be sold out for God means you are sold out for his ways that you would be so in sync with his heart. Which brings us to the second point here. What does it look like to be in sync? See, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they lack what you call emotional intelligence. Because as Jesus lays out the blueprint for his suffering, in verse 35, they chime in, the sons of Zebedee. Here's what they say. Teacher, we want you to do for us what Whatever we ask of you. Do you realize how triggering these words are? After the fact that Jesus talks about his suffering, his death, and everything that he's going to have to go through, the sons of Zebedee, all they care about is, do something for us. Do something for me. And so Jesus asks, what is it that you want? Here's what's so important for them. Grant us one to sit at your right hand, and one at your left 
in glory. Let us sit in glory with you. The thing about sitting is that it's only reserved for the king. It's only reserved for the king. And actually in the Bible, even the angelic hosts are described as standing in the presence of the Lord, serving him. None of the angels sit. And yet here are the sons of Zebedee elevating themselves even above the angels saying, let us sit in your glory. What's in it for me? There's a sister I knew who um, was a young adult at the time, and she spent a couple of her years to do mission work in another country. And a lot of people in our life stage, you know, they're focused on career or finding a spouse, but, but her, she spent it in the mission field. And as she spent her time there teaching English and doing some counseling work because that was her background, uh, and she was also teaching people about God. And when she came back uh, to the States, um, there was the supporting church that opened up a platform for her to share about her journey and everything that she went through. And her opening lines were this. I'll never forget her opening lines. She simply got up and simply said, it's not about me. It's not about me, but about how good God is and what God has been doing. And when I heard that, I was so humbled. I was so refreshed to hear that. It's not about me. Because I, I live in a culture, we live in a culture where it's all about us. It really is all about us. Celebrities, when they get their rewards, they get up and they say, uh, I thank God, and it's just one line, and then everything else is about how good of a performance they have, how, uh, how good their record album sold. It's all about me. But someone who is in sync with the heart of Jesus is able to sincerely say, it's not about me. And what would perhaps New Life Fremont look like if we adopted this mentality together? It's not about me, but it's about the goodness of who God really is. This is what the disciples are trying to learn here. Because within this episode, all of them become indignant against John and James. Part of it because they're probably thinking, who do you think you are? Why do you guys think you're better than us? But I think really, they're really mad because they, the sons of Zebedee beat them to the punch. They beat them to the punch. There's this old magazine company called Printers, Inc., and their marketing philosophy up here is that satisfied customers are not as profitable as discontented ones. And what they expose is that living in a highly competitive, consumeristic society makes everyone more, more status conscious, more so, uh, stressed out, and more sick. They wrote that, hypothesized that, in the 1930s. But what prophetic words for us now? What prophetic words? Guys, I care nothing about cars, but when Tesla released their Cybertrucks, I couldn't ignore it. The marketing scheme was amazing. They raced the Cybertruck against the Porsche, and the Cybertruck was towing a Porsche, and it smoked him in 2.6 seconds. 
And for those brief 2.6 seconds, I thought, I want one of those. But it's like, why? My cars work fine. Do I really think I'm going to tow everyone's car around Fremont? Is that why I need this truck? I don't need it at all. But there's a little part of me that wants to see, project this idea, oh, but I could do it. That's the image it projects. And yet here's this heart check moment for all of us. Jesus says in verse 43, but whoever will be great among you must be a servant, and whoever will be the first among you must be a slave of all. There's your heart check. You guys want to be truly great? Everything that you do professionally, everything that you do academically, everything that you do relationally, you truly want to be great? Be a servant. Servanthood is based on whether life is based on not is based not on what you can get, but what can you give. It's based on a heart of what can I give. The latter is what Jesus is after. Life is meant to be shared with one another. Uh, one pastor put it this way, that you really don't understand your own servant heart until you're actually treated like one. I found those words to be very, very true. My friend, she's a newlywed, and they're enjoying newlywed life without kids, and she had this moment at her church where she was uh, serving at the children's ministry, and uh, one of the moms were there, and she asked in small talk, asking my friend, um, do you have kids? And she said, oh, no, not yet. And then the mom just kind of like grabs her arm really you know, hard and just says, wait as long as you can. Just take your time. You know, this is small talk, and I, I, I like laughed and chuckled, but also at the same time, I, I was like, oh, it's so real. It's so real sometimes. I remember this time when I only had miles. It was so uh, draining to, you know, care for a new, newborn life, and um, Kathy was going to go see her parents um, for, I, I can't remember what it was, but she's going to go see her parents uh, and the visit, and, and that meant I had a whole week to myself. And like, once they left, I like, I was so uh, happy and overjoyed. You know, I could do whatever I want. And, you know, the next, the next, the first meal I had was Mexican food because, you know, it's spicy. I don't have to worry about this kid getting, you know, complaining about the spiciness level. So I ate all this Mexican food, uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And then after I came home from work, it's like, oh, I have so much to do. What am I going to do? I played basketball all night long, came home super tired and washed up and fell, just dropped to bed. I was like, oh, this is a great life. I can't wait for the next day. But you know what happened the next day as I woke up? It felt boring. And I started to question the existence of my own life. And I quickly FaceTimed uh, Kathy and Miles to say, hey, when are you guys coming back? This is a thing. I'm not saying you need a kid in your life to live a fulfilling one. But the emptiness I started to feel was that I was not serving and fulfilling a greater purpose. That when all I serve is myself, it's a very quick road to emptiness because you're constantly having to serve me, myself, and I. And those three characters, they're never satisfied with whatever you have or do. 
And the greater the purpose that I serve, the more fulfilling it is. When our minds and hearts are in sync with Jesus to serve, it's fulfilling because it allows, it follows a creational pattern. Because as you look around at, uh, at the change of the colors of the autumn leaves, you stare at the stars at night or the, uh, the moon that, that is brought up or the warmth of the sun uh, that warms up our skins, they're all the work of a creator and sustainer as an act of service for the creation that he so dearly loves. And any time we have a mindset of serving, it follows our creator's pattern. Serving is all about building something good. It's all about building something good, a greater good. Last point. In Daniel chapter 7, the uh, prophet prophesies that the Son of Man figure will come down on the clouds of heaven, I think it's up here, uh, clouds of heaven, and have dominion over the whole earth. And in this kingdom, all the nations the peoples and languages, they will all serve him. But when Jesus says in our Mark passage here, the Son of Man came to serve, it's a conundrum. It's confusing for people. For everyone believed that the messianic promise that a Savior will come, and when they believed that a Savior will come, they believed that the Son of Man will come to conquer, not serve. So it's strange. Maybe Jesus doesn't know his scripture very well. Maybe this guy is confused. Maybe he really isn't the Son of Man. But if you take a look at that last uh, phrase in verse 45, it says, Jesus, he will give his life as a ransom for many. And that phrase comes from up here, describes the servant of the Lord in Isaiah 53.10 that he would suffer in order to pay a ransom for many. The merging of these two passages show that Jesus is the Son of Man who will conquer, but through the means of his service. That's how he will conquer. He will give up his life. Advent gives us the reason why we can care about anything in this world to even begin with. Advent gives us the hope and reason why we can care about anything in this world to begin with. Everything from the climate change to praying for peace in the places of Gaza, whatever aid that we can bring to them, to the backyard of Fremont itself of just cleaning up trash there, uh, connecting or maybe connecting with your neighbor. You can have two mentalities in this. One is, what good will this do? It's just going to happen again. What good can this do? Or you can have the mentality of you do good because you believe in the ultimate good of what God will actually do. Advent is God's irrevocable promise to restore all of creation to be very, very good again. That is Advent's promise to us earth to be reborn into a new creation where a weary world finally rejoices without having having to wait for the other shoe to drop. And it only happens through the means 
of suffering. Notice the middle of this passage today. As Jesus talks with the sons of Zebedee, he asks this question to them, are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And in this context, baptism and the drinking of the cup are metaphors for judgment and suffering. And Jesus affirms that the disciples, they will experience what he experiences, but not to the degree that he will go through with it. This is going to sound strange, but suffering is actually the key to our happiness. Suffering is actually the key to our happiness because everyone has to suffer. The question is, what are you willing to suffer for? And to love is to suffer. There is the key to our happiness there. Guys, I just passed 10 years of being married to Kathy. We uh, had a little celebration um, this past week. And I, I like reflect on our marriage together. And I can't believe my sheer luck. I really can't believe my sheer luck. Because contrary to popular belief, no one wants to become a pastor's wife. That's false news right there. And 10 years she's been with me. For those 10 years, we've moved to six different uh, places. She's left her family and friends. She's raised two energetic goofballs, beautiful kids. And here we are now with the bunny terrorizing our house. She's a better writer than I am. She's a better speaker than I am. And yet never once has she belittled me about it. I guarantee you, there's no way I can come here and do what I do without her, 100%. And I realize, like, in the 10 years, she, she like, becomes more lovely to me every year when I see uh, more than when I first said I do. And what I conclude about those 10 years is that what made it all work is that I am married to a person who is committed to give, to serve the greater good, Love is determined by who and what you're actually willing to suffer for. That's why it makes you happy in that sense. The Son of Man is willing to actually suffer for you. That's what Advent shows us. That he's willing to give up his life. He gave up the comforts of a heavenly realm while the angels sing his praises constantly only to come down to be mocked by men. He gave up the best health insurance plan, immortality, how do you beat that? Only to actually feel pain, what it means to be wounded. On the cross, he gave up perfect fellowship with God just to take on the curses for our sins. He became forgotten so that you might be remembered in the book of life, Jesus emptied himself of all his glory so that you might have the splendor and riches of his heavenly kingdom. This is the hope what Advent brings. And if our Savior is like this, he came not to be served, but to serve. Maybe the key to happiness truly is 
to care for someone else because we see how much our Savior cares for us. Friends, join me in a word of prayer.